What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Thursday evening in a fine cold week here in Georgia in November. Uh, I am not Brad Roland, your normal host. Uh, this is Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on TalkingChop.com where I'm the deputy site manager and minor league editor. I've been at Talking Chop since 2015 now, I think is what the, the year I started. I can't remember now. It's been so long. Um, you know, and we really we heard me a lot on Road to Atlanta. I've been a fill-in host for Brad before. I will do my absolute best to fill in his very big shoes. Uh, he does a great job each week, but because of the nature of how today went and what he had going on, he unfortunately wasn't able to join us tonight. But joining me to this evening is one of the is one of the few folks at this point. Well, I say few. There's actually been a lot of people who've been around there for a long time now. But Scott's probably been there the longest. <laughs> one Scott Coleman. Scott, how are you, man? I'm good, Eric. I wasn't, I got to be honest, I wasn't expecting when the day started to do an emergency podcast with you, just, you know, based on the uh, glacial pace that the offseason has gotten off to so far. But we knew we were going to get some action with the qualifying offer, but of course, uh, with the decisions on those, but I didn't really think they were going to sign Will Smith either. So it should give us a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's kind of a wild day. Like we, like you know, MVP announcements were coming out. We knew that the Braves were going to get some votes, and you know, we, everyone knew that Josh Donaldson was going to decline the qualifying offer. We're going to talk about that first before we get into this Will Smith stuff. Uh, obviously, the Braves did sign uh, Will Smith, the reliever from the Giants, the best reliever on the free agent market, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, signed him to a three-year deal. We'll dig into the deep into that. Uh, I will say that there is a particular individual who's really happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, Joe Carson keeps making digs at me every time that I'm on the podcast <laughs> and you're not. Uh, so if you would be so kind as to make some either some nice say some nice things or some mean things, I guess those will work too about his cow bears. I, I would greatly appreciate it. Just so he, <laughs> he, he he can get his Scott fix for the I guess you know for the next couple weeks or so, or you know when next time this gets recorded and you're on. Um, so those are the two big news items we're going to talk about in this podcast. We're not going to get into a lot of big projection type stuff. Uh, the, the, the plan was for the line, the lineup preview to happen next. That was going to be the next podcast that was done. But unfortunately with the way this is happening, we're going to put, we're going to push this back, push that back. And we're going to talk about the lineup on a different week. Uh, myself will be on Scott or Scott, or even someone else will be on to talk with Brad about, you know, projecting the lineup and kind of what we think and what we don't think about it. But this is going to be strictly, it's going to be a shorter podcast and it's going to be strictly about those two items. Um, we're going to talk about Donaldson first before we kind of really it, the the Will Smith stuff requires like kind of a deeper dive. But I do want to give uh, some some time to Donaldson declining the qualifying offer. Uh, this isn't a surprise that he declined the qualifying offer. I did have some people tweeting at me saying that all oh, this means that there's absolutely no chance that they you know that Donaldson resigns now that he he declined the qualifying offer. I don't think it changes a thing. Um, kind of what was your mindset kind of going into this whole qualifying with qualifying offer with Josh Donaldson? And kind of what do you think, how do you think his market is going to shape up in the near future? Yeah, I mean, he's been really the the most prominent name. Now, I, I never really know how much to buy, especially this early in the winter when you start getting the rumors of, of teams interested in player X, Y, and Z. But um, he's really been the hot name. I was hopeful that the Braves might be able to work out a deal with Donaldson before today's deadline. Um, you know, there is a very real fear of that draft pick being attached to veteran players and Donaldson is a little bit on the older, uh, the older end. So I was, I guess, uh, holding out a little bit of hope that they might be able to work something out. 
Um, I guess if you would have told me 24 hours ago the Braves were going to sign a significant free agent today, I would have said it was Josh Donaldson and not and not Will Smith. But um, you know, with reason, Donaldson is going to be a very popular man. Um, Anthony Rendon is is very clearly the the best, uh, the cream of the crop. But then Donaldson's right behind him, and and as I just said, a whole bunch of teams are interested. So um, it's a bummer to not be able to kind of keep him off the market, if you will. I'm with you. I don't think for any reason it means that, that the Braves can't uh, end up reuniting with him, and, and whether that be in weeks or months. Um, but it, it you know does give him the opportunity to really test the market and see what's out there. Um, he deserves to get paid, and, and he ultimately decided he, he was never going to take the qualifying offer. Um, so really it was more of just a formality of today, and, and now you just kind of see where the market goes. Yeah, I think there's a couple reasons for all the Donaldson chatter. One is that there's genuine interest, and there's and understandably so. He's a very productive player. We got to see that firsthand in Atlanta last year. You know, 132 WRC plus was just outstanding defensively as well. You know, it was funny. If it wasn't Scott, it was me just saying, "Pay that man every time he did something good on the on the field for like that last couple months of the season." And the other thing that I think is factoring in is that of the top free agents, most of them are Scott Boras clients which means that Scott Boris is going to keep mentioning his guys' names to kind of leak that, you know, there's, you know, mystery teams and, you know, like this is these are kind of the numbers that are being swirled around and this other team is checked in and things like that. But Donaldson doesn't have that sort of agent baggage. Yeah, and, Boris, and Boris is going to be the guy that waits until February. He is going to be the guy that just gets as much money, gets as much desperation as is humanly possible for his teams, for his players rather, to get teams to bid those up and try to get the most amount of money possible. Donaldson's not going to be that. And, you know, that combined with the fact that, you know, you're not going to have to commit six or seven years to Josh Donaldson. It's going to be a three-year deal. If it's a four-year deal, I, I kind of suspect that the Braves won't do that. But, like, that would be the absolute max that I could possibly see that happening. Because he's just an, he's an older player, and committing that, that those types of dollars to a player that's older like that is just not a smart thing to do, no matter how productive they are. And the, the, the list of guys I would say that... At, Donaldson's age that I would give more than a four year, more than a three year deal to is extraordinarily short, um, yep. and so but that means that teams were like, well, if we have to give up our second highest pick to get Josh Donaldson, and we get him for three years, we don't have to commit a bunch of commit may have to commit a decent amount of you know average annual value to it, you know like you know we're saying twenty three to twenty six million dollars would be my blind guess on that, um, kind of depending on what he wants, he might want that front front loaded or the teams might want to do that front loaded, you know there's a, there's a lot of permutations with you know options and things like that that you could do too but the the tenor of his market is such that you know like teams might be more willing to go do we really have to give commit seven years to a guy like a, a anthony rendon which is probably where like the floor is for the number of hour, uh, years that you have to commit to him versus donaldson where you give up a pick sure but you don't have to commit him in terms of those years on your payroll down the line and that that means that there's some contenders with like some shorter contention windows that might be more interested rather than locking up a guy for seven years when you might only be good for three of them. Um, yeah. We've heard a couple names, you know, the Rangers have been, they, they have the new ballpark and they've been, they desperately want a name that people would actually recognize for that roster. And then, you know, two other NL East teams have been checking in on them. So it's been an interesting sort of early rumor mill for him. Well, and it helps his case too, that a lot of teams that are expected to spend this winter have needs at third base. I mean, you mentioned the Phillies. Phillies haven't had great third base play the last few years. If the Nationals lose Rendon, they obviously have a gigantic hole there. You mentioned the Rangers. Maybe a team like the Angels want to get in if they miss out on some of the bigger-name players. Um, those are all teams that are expected to spend, and it's not like they have a superstar at third base and, and they have no need for Donaldson. So everything is kind of going in his favor right now as far as the market goes. Now, of course, that can change in a hurry, and all of a sudden – uh, if he waits too long, he can be out of suitors and, and maybe doesn't get as much money as he does if he jumps on an early offer. But I do think he's somebody who will end up signing sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think that it's fair to guess that he would sign before the winter meetings. I'm not saying it's going to happen like next week, but you know maybe before the winter meetings. Again, one, he's already done that. He's already been a guy that's acted early in his... He could have gotten more money elsewhere. He could have you know gotten more years elsewhere last offseason. But he seems like a kind of guy that will pick the team that he wants to be on and then not have to worry about, you know, the constant protracted negotiating process of the winter, you know, throughout the winter. That could easily change. You know, his market could get so busy 
and so productive that maybe he's like, well, I, if I keep waiting another month, I might get another $10 million out of this. And, you know, who would blame him, honestly? Uh, I, I am of the opinion, and I think that you would agree, that the Braves are the favorites, that even to, to sign him, just because the qualifying offer has had such a strong effect on the guys that have had those offers on them, particularly older players, that I'm sure tons of teams would love to have John Stossin, but if they if he wants $25 million a year for three years, that the list of teams that might be willing to do that plus give up a draft kick might become small enough where yeah. the, the Braves might be like, look, we can give you close to that. We don't lose the draft pick. You know, you don't have to. You don't have to work. And plus, you know where you know where you're you're appreciated here. You know you have a role here. You know all your the training staff, which was an important consideration from him last off season. Um, I, I guess I wanted to ask you when it when the dust settles after all this, what do you think Josh Donaldson's deal looks like? Not don't have to necessarily predict the, the team because that gets a little squirrely, and we've kind of gone on record saying we like the Braves' chances, but it's not. It's definitely not a given. But what what deal do you think he ends up getting? Mm, good question. Um... I'm going to say that he ultimately gets the third year guaranteed, but not the fourth year, which I think uh, I just don't see a team that's desperate enough out there that would give him four years. Now, maybe I'm wrong or maybe I'm on the high end of this and and he's really looking at more of like a two year deal or a two year deal with a mutual option on top. But um, ultimately, I think three years and 75 million, somewhere in that 70 to 80 million dollar range makes sense. I mean, generally you know, if you're really in for a high dollar free agent, what's the difference of a million bucks on an, you know, on an annual basis? If you're in for 24 million, you're probably in for 25 million. Um, I, I will say, I think if all offers are effectively equal, I would think, and I don't really have inside information here. It's just more of a gut feeling. I would think that if Donaldson's presented with the same offer from three teams and one of them is the Braves, I would sure think he would take the Braves. He knows the training staff. He knows the front office well. He seemed to enjoy Atlanta and vice versa. Um, But, again, all it takes is one team. You talked about him kind of waiting it out. Um, All it takes is one team to come in, maybe a team that's desperate if, say, the Nationals Nationals lose Rendon. Well, all of a sudden, if they're looking desperate and Josh Donaldson's still out there, all it takes is one team to, to just drive up the bidding to a level where, as you said, I can't imagine the Braves willing to do four years for a guy who has had some injury history. Um, and it's just a risky proposition paying for guys into their late 30s. Um, but ultimately, at least for me, I think Dawson ends up with a three-year deal somewhere in that 70 to $78 million range. Yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I might be a, a teensy bit lower, like in the 70 to 75 range. I don't think he could get above that personally. The one thing that I think could reasonably happen, especially if it's like a sweeten the deal type uh, contract offer, and you know, whether it be the Braves or elsewhere, is if there's a fourth year, but it's a vesting option. You know, one where he has to hit certain escalators, you know, a certain number of plate appearances, sure. maybe a certain number of production. That would make some sense to me. You know, it would like it protects the team a bit because you know if a guy hits certain escalators and you like you know and those escalators are you know it's not like 200 plate appearances or you know what I mean something like that. But if he you know puts in like real production that last year, then you know maybe that fourth year isn't the end of the world to have to end up just so that way you can ensure that you have him for the three years yeah. that you really want him. Um, Again, that's possible. I don't think it's outside the right possibility that some sort of, you know, again, a mutual option for a third year or a vesting option for a third year could potentially be, you know, possible as well, depending on how much money that vesting option would be to yeah. kind of entice him. Now, again, back backloading deals with like, you know, heavy options or weird options, you know, there's a history of those not working out particularly well on both sides. It's kind of a really erratic sort of thing. So I think it's entirely possible that. Three years is, seems the most likely, but once you get above that, I think if there's a, if an offer of over three years happens, I think the chances of the Braves signing him becomes much less likely. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, and you know, th- there's something to consider too that the you know the the payroll got a little bit had a little bit of a change today, but we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to talk about the Will Smith signing and kind of what we think that could ha- portend for the rest of the offseason, what we mean for the 2020 Braves. But before we do that, we're going to take a a break to listen to our word from our sponsors. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. 
Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, we buried the lead long enough. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I am with you. I honestly thought I misread the tweets that came out. I, I, I didn't think the Braves were the ones that signed him because yeah. when and it's funny, tomorrow is actually I did the free agency preview for relievers. And I, I have a section it's like the, the go for broke section, which is sign Will Smith. And like literally the first sentence is all this assumes that Will Smith doesn't sign the qualifying offer, which he probably will and probably should. Yeah. Uh, that didn't age particularly well. I kept a section in there. There is a little, you know, thing in italics at the bottom now that says, well, completely wrong about this. And, you know, I spoke this in the being, so you're welcome. <laughs> um, um, so the Braves did sign Will Smith to, the again, the best reliever on the free agent market right now. Roldis Chapman signed an extension with the Yankees. So he was unquestionably the best reliever on the free agent market right now. Um, it, was, it's a, it was announced as a three-year deal for $39 million, but there is a club option for the fourth year. And there's a one million dollar buyout, so functionally, it's a three million, forty million dollar year, three year, forty million dollar deal with an option for the 2023. I think is what the year is, and it's yeah. uh, thirteen million. Every year's for thirteen million. It's not front loaded. It's not back loaded. I, I didn't see this coming at all. Uh, I mean, the from AA's comments about not necessarily want to upgrade the bullpen to how much money they already have invested in the bullpen. And, you know, we kind of all assumed that Shane Green was going to not get non-tendered. Uh, maybe that changes now. I don't really know. Um, and I honestly thought he was just going to sign the qualifying offer because, you know, you get, eight, get paid $18 million next year, and then you hit the free agent market next year scot-free. Um, what, what was your kind of just initial kind hmm. of response to this happening? Uh, I was truly stunned. Like, when I saw it come across, and, and of all things, too, the team announced it. Like, how frequently does a team announce a major free agent signing i mean there was there was no chatter about this and you mentioned will smith i mean <clears throat> for the last 48 hours or so all we've seen was he seems incredibly likely to accept the qualifying offer um we later learned today from ken rosenthal that his agent in a pretty smart move actually um was telling teams that were interested in smith that he was going to accept the qualifying offer on Thursday if they didn't get the deal that they liked. And, of course, that worked out for Smith. Now, he won't make quite $18 million next year, but the fact that he locked in a, a three-year with the possibility of a four-year deal and at 39 or $40 million guaranteed, however you want to look at it, I mean, that's he got a nice payday. Um, I'm with you. I really didn't have an instant reaction to it, which is maybe hard for people who have listened and read my stuff over the years as far as, the you know king of the hot takes I, I really didn't i mean so much of this for me comes down to what's next if this is their off-season move if this is anthopolis's big off-season move and they're going to plug the holes with other lesser options now because they paid will smith i i think it's a terrible decision but if in four months we look back and they realize this was just kind of the the tip of the iceberg and they're going to really start to spend they're going to make trades. They're going to be aggressive with free agents. They're going to really try to build this into a even more of a World Series contender. Then I think I can wrap my head around uh, giving a significant contract to a guy who has been really good the last couple of years. But as we know, relievers are incredibly volatile and, and can fall off at a moment's notice. Yeah, I, I think it's worth giving some context. As to, I mean, I'm not sure how many of our listeners are fully cognizant of Will Smith just because He's played for a pretty bad Giants team the last couple of years. Uh, but, but and this their game started at yeah, 10.30 yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks to you, Scott, for uh, being able to cover those recaps when those things happen. Because, uh, <laughs> because uh, I, not, not, not many of us are signing up to have to stay up till 1 in the morning to uh, you know, recap Giants games. Uh, so, you know, big big ups to you. Uh, yeah. But this is, this is a guy combined over the last two years. He's been one of the tw best 12 relievers in baseball. Um, you know, at least in terms of Fangraph's war, he's – total it's been 3.2 f war over those two seasons which for a reliever is pretty significant uh 2.66 era over that span striking at around 13 batters per nine walking less than three per nine i'm sure that some folks you know out there on the listening world is going to be excited to hear that he's not a guy who walks a ton of players but the the context that you provide is important because there's a lot of moves and this we felt the same way last offseason 
that in a vacuum are good moves. Like the Nick Marcakis deal is an example of that. And we you know, we are very famous and all three of us have been guilty of it, of this not being a fan of how the Braves have used Nick Marcakis and what his role has been on the team. But in a vacuum, the amount of money you've been paying Nick Marcakis over the last two years versus what you've gotten out of him and what he is makes all the sense in the world. It's just not that much money. But when that is your move to make a corner to fill a corner outfield spot that you know is a guy that bats fifth for all that you know for all the for, for like what 155 games or whatever it's going to be every year unless he you know ends up breaking his wrist like which will happen last season that doesn't work nearly as well and that the context of everything changes so in a vacuum a lot of these moves are going to make sense you know same thing with the Tyra Flowers one we, I got tons of tweets saying that they couldn't believe that they're bringing Tyra Flowers back and my thought is as paying that for a backup catcher that can actually do something. Uh, you just pay that all day long. You have to. But if he's the guy that's going to be catching for 100 games, then that's a problem. You know, And the Braves have real holes. I mean, the, the, the bullpen is becoming less and less of a concern, although there's some questions, and we'll kind of get to that a little bit later in the podcast, is that you know now that there's less holes between the Darren O'Day signing as well as the, you know, now the signing of Will Smith, you know, the bullpen is less of a concern, but they still don't really know what's going on at third base yet. Uh, we hope and think it's possible, if not probable, that they re- end up re-signing Donaldson. But they have third base. They have need a catcher, a primary catcher. And, you know, there's, you know, Grandal is going to be the big name that's going to be on the free agent market. But after that, the, you know, the quality of catchers that you get for, beyond him is drops off in a hurry just because that's the state of catching in Major League Baseball. You, you need another starter. And you might, and you need some more bullpen pieces. That is a lot of holes to fill. And if you used a bunch of money to get one reliever, who, as it turns out, as it's been reported, is not going to be your closer, because Mark Melanson is going to hold on to that role for the time being. You know, all the caveats of that's what they said about Shane Green too, and that lasted for a week. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, all these moves have to be taken into a little bit of a grain of salt, and we have to understand something, and I hope all of our listeners actually listen to us, is that it is very early in the offseason to draw too many conclusions. Because, again, this isn't like signing Garrett Cole, where you're paying $30-plus million a year for you know until 2030 or whatever. It's going to be... This is an amount of money that is a significant amount of money, but it's not a potentially this is what the entire offseason is. Now, I'm with you. If this is the big move and they just, you know, spend, you know, make a few $8 million moves and maybe sign, you know, maybe sign Mike Moustakis, then I don't think it's a reach to say, and I, I mentioned this when I talked to Brad on the podcast uh, last time I was on, is that there's a very real possibility without real moves this offseason that this team is significantly worse next year. It just is. Because if you don't have Josh Donaldson... And, you know, you have some guys take some steps back and, you know, father time catches up with some others. Then you have to, how do you, how well do you feel about the, how good do you feel about the rotation? How do you feel? There's a lot of question marks for a team that just won 90, you know, 96 plus games or whatever. It's, it's, it's a tricky thing. And I'm hopeful that, you know, this isn't the only move that they make this off season, or at least the, the most high profile one, because if that's the case, you know, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the offseason is going to be brutal, you know, for, on multiple respects, particularly on social media where everyone's going to be wanting to set SunTrust Park on fire. Right, right. I mean, for me, this the way I kind of look at it, if you're looking at kind of looking for the optimistic take or the glass half full take, after seeing two full offseasons and two full seasons with this new front office, I have a really hard time believing for a front office that didn't sign a single reliever last year and for really just an organization that has never spent money, whether it was uh, Frank Wren or John Coppola, John Hart, or, or Anthopolis, Atlanta has not been a place where free agent relievers go to cash in, right? So I think that was partly what brought on so much surprise with the signing today. Um, but I will say this. I just can't envision this front office, which is so analytically inclined and so savvy and ahead of the curve and in, in, in most things that their crown jewel of the offseason a year after winning 97 games when they have those holes that you just talked about, that their big get is going to be a, a really good left-handed reliever. I just don't see that. If we, we talked about payroll, and right now the Braves sit around $100 million, assuming they 
uh, tender all of their arbitration guys and, and don't make any other moves. Um, for me, I just can't imagine they spend $13 million this early in the offseason knowing they still need two starting pitchers, a third baseman, a catcher, if they're going to have an opening day payroll similar to the last couple of years of, you know, 120, 125 million. Now, I'm not sure they're going to start opening day with a payroll of 150 or 160 million either. But to me, to guarantee this contract early enough, um, they're obviously big fans of Will Smith's. And I think they have to think that more things are going to be coming down the pipeline. It just didn't maybe happen in the order that fans would expect. Well, yeah, and, you know, the points you make about the front office are important ones. And one other thing to add to that is that this is not a team that wants to give up draft picks. And they just gave up their second-highest draft pick in the next draft for a lefty reliever. That's That, that, that tells you about the mindset that they are in. What, what, what would the purpose be to bring – they, they, can they honestly look at the roster right now and say this is the move and the only move we need to make to get over the hump. The answer is probably no because yeah. I mean look we're not we're not saying anything that's particularly revolutionary by saying that there are holes on this roster and that they need <laughs> to make more moves than this, right? Right. And yeah. and if they, and if they're giving up a draft pick which is they they have just not wanted to do. They just haven't. And you know there's reasons for that and there's you know there's some wisdom to the fact that if they if they because they're picking lower in the draft and those pick, those picks that they're giving up have less value simply because they're going to be at lower points in the draft, so there's less draft, draft pool being affected. And it also, in some ways, kind of in a roundabout way, gives you a better feeling about Josh Donaldson because if they felt like they were going to lose Donaldson, then their second-highest draft pick would be in the comp rounds, right? So uh, this, yeah. Yeah. So, so if that's the case, you know, maybe they don't feel like they're going to lose that pick because they, 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 they're not going to have that pick because they're not going to be, and so therefore it wouldn't be something to lose. So instead, it's a bottom of the second round type pick, which is yeah. just has is just less pool money. Now, uh, we already mentioned a little bit, kind of earlier that you know uh, Dave O'Brien and others have announced, and Mark Bowman as well have mentioned that uh, the Braves have stated that their current plan is for Mark Melanson to continue to be the closer. Obviously, with relievers, that changes. That that's something that changes constantly. Uh, we saw that happen even last year, multiple times as we, guys were trying to give that role. Uh, multiples just did their absolute best to make sure they didn't stay in that role. Uh, but and you know it was kind of tossed around for a little while before Melanson kind of settled into it towards the end of the year. But what does this mean for? And there's going to be a couple guys that this has some impacts on. Uh, one is an AJ Minter, who's again a lefty arm that we have liked the, the stuff. But now that they have a lefty arm that's not a closer, you know, does he become more dispensable, or does he like does he is his spot become less, you know, less secure on next year's team? And do you think it makes it more likely that they end up just not tendering Shane Green and they just go to go to kind of a Melanson and Will and a Will Smith type uh, back end of the bullpen? You know, that's kind of the big question now. I know, I, I think. Last year's, and maybe I'm giving too much credit to what happened last winter as far as the non-tendering thing goes, but they tendered basically every player last year. And because it's a non-guaranteed deal, you know, you can bail on these guys and only pay them like 10% of their arbitration salary up until like three weeks before the season. So, of course, Adam Duvall famously uh, last year. So, for me, I don't really see... uh, an upside to non-tendering Shane Green right now. You could still bail on him in the middle of uh, March, in the middle of the spring, and only have to pay him like a million bucks. Um, If for some reason he's really struggling or doesn't look good or would happen to get hurt, you're not really on the hook for the six or seven million dollars he's expected to get in arbitration. So for that reason, I think they tender Green. I I just don't see a reason not to do it. but it, you, you talked about the bullpen. I, I am of the bullpen philosophy that you can never have too many good bullpen arms, right? Like every year we see the, the natural volatility, sure. the turnover. You know, you think you have a good bullpen and then you're six weeks into the season and you're like, oh, my God, who's going to throw the seventh inning tonight? Um, so my hope is, is that the Braves have a legitimately good bullpen that they can rely on. It's easy to forget. There was a time in early August where the Braves legitimately had – the worst bullpen in baseball. I remember vividly 
going on fan graphs and looking at something. It was after, I think it was the night that Melanson gave up like eight runs to the Marlins and they lost uh, in unspeakable fashion. Like, I think they legitimately had the worst bullpen ERA or maybe the worst bullpen FIP and the lowest uh, team war of relievers, um, worse than like the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers. So I I get why the Braves made this move. I I don't think they want to be in a similar situation next year where they're having to piece by piece the bullpen and every night you're not really sure who's going to throw the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Um, But ultimately, there are going to be some decisions to make. It, It is something now... Before, I think, 24 hours ago, we would have said it's a sure thing that they tender green just because they don't have a ton of proven bullpen options. Um, I still think they tender them for the reasons I just outlined, but I guess now it is a little bit more of a decision for the front office. Yeah, and I think that my feelings are very similar to the Julio Tehran decision, right? It's that, you know, for what Julio is, and he's not an ace, and you know, insert all the memes about him being the opening day starter and all that stuff. For the money, for what he was, it didn't. It, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been crazy to exercise his option. However, if you see the Braves not exercise his option, and then you and that seems to signal to me that they have plans for that money. And that means an upgrade of like of a significant amount of spending elsewhere. Because they, I mean, they have some money committed to this next next season, but it's not what I would call a crazy amount of money. You know, obviously it went up a bit today just because of the signing. But you know, it's kind of one of those things where if you don't retain Julio, then does that mean that either you're you think you can sign him back for a lesser amount, which is still possible? I think there's just going to be a team that gets close enough to where he wants to be, where he's going to end up signing elsewhere. Uh, and I don't know, don't necessarily think he's going to sign back with the Braves at this point in time. Um, not a crazy notion, but one that is something to kind of monitor, I guess. But it's the same thing with the Shane Green decision now. Because you have Melanson, who, again, father time's undefeated, but he looked really good for the most part, you know, but with a few notable exceptions. Uh, he looked really good in the role that he was in, and he just was a really steady presence, and he seems like a you know, really good look. You know, locker room guy, there's a lot of reasons to keep the guy around. And more sure. importantly, that he's also getting paid a whole lot of money, so you can't just non-tender him. If you were going to non-tender a reliever just to save money, he'd be it because he's going to be really expensive next year. Um, but in Shane Green's case, the decision to come down to whether or not non-tender is whether or not you feel like you need that money to spend elsewhere. And if that's the case and you've also non-tender, well, and you've also not exercised the option on Julio Tehran, it makes me think that there's a big expenditure coming somewhere. Now, again, there's a lot of a lot of ways that could go, and you know, obviously, we we're not just talking about free agency here. I mean, a trade for a, a significant contract, and I'm not going to mention the names that are out there as possible options because the instant that I mentioned those names of, of you know these big trade targets of guys who are getting are incredibly good and getting really expensive in their last years of arbitration, it's going to start rumors and it's going to start speculation that I'm already getting enough of that I don't need in my life this at this moment. <laughs> But yeah. my, my point is is that it keeps those options open if you if you do non-tender him. But I tend to agree with you is that, you know, I, it, it would be a weird move to me to sign Smith and then non-tender Green unless it was, like, under a very specific set of circumstances. Because otherwise, like, I mean, you're not really – you wouldn't really be – you save some money, but is it really worth it to make the move to Smith to upgrade from Shane Green to Will Smith? Is it worth that much money? And that much more, that much more of a headache versus you can just have a really again you can kind of have your bullpen set and maybe it signals that the the payroll is actually going to go up a little bit, uh, if not more than a little bit, and then we kind of go from there. That's kind of my general. Yeah, thought. yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and I mean this is as we said, this is a team that obviously has intentions of winning a third straight division next year. It's a team that's averaged 94 wins the last couple of seasons, um, and a team that really should be pretty good. I mean. We, we mentioned the holes, but this there is a good core in place, at least. And yes, they need to still address those things. I would like to think that the difference of 5 or $6 million between booting Shane Green and keeping Shane Green around for a team that has, some, has a real chance to do something next year wouldn't be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Again, if you offer him or if you tender Green... If all of a sudden in the spring he just doesn't look good, you can bail on him and you're out a million dollars. It's it's 
it's kind of a nice out for teams that are on the fence. Um, so ultimately, I do think whenever the tender deadline comes, um, they will tender him a contract and, and uh, it doesn't hurt to keep him around and, and kind of leave some options open for you. Um, there's also the possibility of a trade. Maybe we can touch on that. I think I don't think there's any chance they could trade Mark Melanson at this point with his contract. Um, no, I it's think, just too much money. I think Green is a slight possibility in that regard because he's going to make six or seven million bucks the next year. Um, I don't think it's likely, right? Like, and I don't think the Braves would necessarily get anything worthwhile for trading a guy with one year of control that's going to cost you a decent salary. Um, but it, it also leaves that door open. I saw a little bit of talk about that today, so I thought we should at least bring that up. Yeah, it's entirely possible. And again, you know, there's other there's other relievers that are both out in the free agent market as well as on the roster right now. You know, that they could they, the Braves could see like, you know, maybe we trade with some of these guys that we have some team control of. You know, you know, maybe you should maybe you trade a Luke Jackson in a deal to upgrade elsewhere and then that allows you to, you know, you know, bring back a Chris Martin or go after a more of a midline type reliever that, you know, isn't going to, you know, scare the, the life out of you every time he comes out of the bullpen or something like that. There's so, there's so many moving parts right now because this is the premier free agent signing so far this offseason. And again, it's and it, that's that's not that, that's not the same thing as like we were saying in like, you know, in January last year where we're like, wow, there's really like Josh Donaldson's been it. Um, it, you know, everything else happened, you know, really late in the offseason. Uh, and I expect we're going to have some late offseason signings this year as well. But uh, Scott Boris and a few others have seemed to think that, that they feel like this market is going to move more quickly this offseason, which I am hopeful for because uh, the two months of just actual nothing happening was pretty excruciating to cover. Uh, but also, I don't think it was necessarily good for the game. And we're already kind of seeing some, you know, shots, you know, shots over the bow of from the players union, you know, the players union wanting to make sure that, you know, there's everything's on the up and up. Uh, I'm sure it's it's actually kind of funny to me that of, you know, after all the stuff with Tony Clark and Alex Anthopoulos, which I, I and I think I you agree with me is that it was a fairly innocuous comment from Anthopoulos. Got, oh yeah, you got Tony Clark all riled up that the first real major free agent signing of this offseason went to the Braves uh, and, you know, they gave, and they gave $13 million a year to a reliever. But um, it's going to be interesting now what happens because I think that the days of, like, the slew of free of deals coming out of the winter meetings are over. I think that we'll either get deals that happen beforehand or there's going to be kind of some more feeling out of some things happening at the winter meetings and then, then we're going to see those deals come afterwards again. Uh, and hopefully, if if that happens, it's very possible it could be another, you know, a late busy off season. And I don't think that's necessarily good for the game of baseball in general for a lot of reasons. Um, but I don't know, man. It's just it was a fascinating signing just because again of all the, I was with you. The the most likely signing to me felt like Donaldson. And then after that, I was like, you know, if they're going to make a splash and they're not going to spend on Donaldson, maybe they go after Yas- Yasmani Grandal or you know they do something like that. You know that's felt so much more likely to me than you know mm-hmm. than signing a reliever, and it kind of puts me in the same boat with you. Is that this doesn't this feels like a a move for a good player that will make a good team better, but isn't one of those ones that you one of those signings you saying you hang your hat on, especially when it's been stated by everyone, not just the front office, you know, with their misdirection, and again just and for what it's worth, I. You know, Alex Anthopoulos is a very media-savvy guy. If he tells you that he feels like he's set at a position, that that means that he has probably <laughs> two true, Yeah, that there's two trades that he is currently tossing around in his mind for possibilities yeah. to upgrade out out there. Doesn't mean it's gonna ha- it's gonna happen, but it does mean that they're talking about him. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it's almost Just two the, days ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did the same thing with the, the Donaldson signing last year. He's like, we feel good about our infield, and like 72 hours later, Josh Donaldson was in the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. So it's it, again, and you know, you know, kudos to him. He's not gonna let he's not gonna let negotiate things in the meeting media and let any sort of leverage happen there. Uh, he's gonna kind of force those of us just to continually keep shouting about the things that we feel like need to be fixed. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you know, we'll and we'll see what happens. But overall, yeah. it was a re- it was a really exciting day. But it was also like really fascinating because it definitely made you feel like the team. It it feels like a gear has shifted. 
but I don't know if it's like, you know, full all in, you know, going full out, you know, really increasing payroll or anything like that. We got a ton of questions about that. Is this, you know, like, does this mean that the payroll is increasing? What's going on? What's going to happen? The short answer is no one knows. Nobody. Um, and it, 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 it certainly doesn't make you think that they're being cheap, right? It doesn't make you think that the payroll is going down. It doesn't make you think that they're, they're just phoning it in next season. There's, there's, that's just not true. But in terms of, like, what this portends for, like, whether it be Josh Donaldson signing, is it, does this mean that, you know, they have less money available to possibly do that? or to make more moves even beyond that. We just don't know because we haven't reached a payroll threshold where I think it would make you or I nervous about how much money they had left over. It's just kind of getting interesting as opposed to just kind of being like, we have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's November 14th, almost November 15th. So as you said, there's three or four months left in this offseason. So I wonder how this would be received if this was a deal that was done like in late January after the Braves had added a legitimate third baseman and added a starting pitcher to and a, and a catcher to pair of flowers verse and then kind of view that the addition of Will Smith is more of an, you know, cherry on top to a good offseason verse. Just no one really expected this. Or if you did expect it, you probably didn't expect it to happen this early, right? Two weeks into the offseason. So I think it's important to remember there's a long ways to go. Who knows what they're ultimately going to spend. Um, I, I mentioned this with Brad a couple weeks ago. I, I do trust this front office, and I think this front office has earned the benefit of the doubt from uh, fans. I think they've made – granted, they didn't build this roster. That was more of the work of Copy and, and John Hart. Um, but you, there Rest is something that, that comes – yeah, RIP. Uh, shout out to uh, Copy at Home Depot. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I will say that in the two years they've, they've made some good moves. They've built a winner. Not every, uh, GM and a new GM and new front office show the restraint that he's shown a lot of them, uh, like Brody Van Wagenen last year kind of went in and blew things up right away with the Mets. That is the opposite of what Anthopolis did in his first winter last year. We know what he did. Maybe didn't. Uh, maybe didn't go wild, but the big one big movie made paid off with Donaldson. I'm hoping, and I'm, I, I think I'm more optimistic than not that Will Smith is not going to be the biggest name player the Braves add this winter. Um, but I do think it is worth mentioning that he obviously knows what he's doing. The front office knows what it's doing. Um, and it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Braves got better today than they were yesterday. And I think when we we really start to evaluate deals and the money and the, the draft pick compensation and all that, I think you can overlook just the player, frankly. And what <clears throat> we don't want to lose sight of is just how good Will Smith is. Now, is it a guarantee that he repeats his performance in San Francisco and Atlanta? No, uh, but he is a Georgia guy. There's no reason. There's really nothing, if you look at his profile, to suggest he's about to fall off or you know, there wasn't a velocity dip or any extreme usage or anything like that. He did have Tommy John surgery in 2017, uh, which is something we didn't mention, or at the end of 2016. Um, so in theory, his arm should be pretty fresh. Um, and ultimately, if he's the guy he's been with the Giants for the last few years, the Braves are adding a, a very good left-handed reliever, whether it be as a closer or as a specialist to use whenever you need him most. Yeah, and again, there's... Th- you mentioned the profile. I mean, he's not a guy that's throwing 98 right now, so you worry about the laws of physics, you know, taking their toll again. I mean, he's a guy, you know, he throws 93. A, you know, he's a four-seam slider guy, uh, and he gets a tons of swings and misses on that slider, strikes out a bunch of guys, doesn't walk a lot of guys. You know, it's not pure gas, and you, you know, just hope that it lasts long enough, you know, until his arm falls off type thing. You know, he just he's a guy that seems to really know how to pitch with the pitches that he has. And, again, the profile's a good one. It's, it, he is a good player, and he made this bullpen better. That that is 100 percent true. Um, and I, I again, I agree that it is worth trusting this front office. I do hope though that that what they don't do is they add him. Maybe add let's just say they add Mike Mustakis. This is for the sake of argument that that's like the third baseman that they end up getting. And then they say we're going to save money for the trade deadline again. Uh, Brad has a stronger line on this than I do in terms of like how strongly he feels about it. But, you know, basically punting on the first half of the season when there's actual additions that you could make to the roster to be that would give you potentially similar production and make your team better for that first half is I, it's a really tough thing for me to get behind. And I hope that I mean, sure, you save some you should save some payroll to make some moves 
because you know something's going to happen in the in the season. You know, someone's going to get hurt, someone's going to be bad, and you're going to have to make yep. a move to do something. But you know, yep. when you save a ton of money to try to hope that at the trade deadline the pieces that you need will be there, so that you can you know finally fix problems that you've had for three months. You know, that's a little bit tricky. That's a little bit tougher for me. You mean you don't want to watch the uh, 2019 Braves bullpen do it again, and <laughs> especially before they made all those trades, that wasn't enjoyable for you. Chad Sabatka was like third, or I think he was like fourth on in, on the team in appearances in 2019. Yeah, that you know, like like you, that that something like that where you have a guy who's just not productive, does not get the job done. You can't have a bullpen situation like that, and it doesn't look like that's going to happen for what it's worth. I mean, Darren O'Day yeah. is actually Should a real person. That, yeah, he and he looked good. Uh, seems well rested because we didn't see him in a uniform until you know the last two weeks of the season or whatever it was, and it's you know the bullpen should be pretty. Looks like the bullpen, assuming what we know, think that you know Green will get tendered and that you're going to have Green, you're going to have Will Smith now, and then you're going to have Melanson. Everything points to the bullpen being a strength, and you yeah. know there's a, there's a thought, right? yeah yeah like <laughs> we're like, sitting here in the middle of November and saying hey. Of between bullpen, the rotation, and the lineup, the bullpen is probably in the best shape. I and mean, who is the last time you could say that about any Atlanta Braves team, let alone this one? Uh, well, I mean, I, I the the last time I remember having a lot of confidence was the O'Flaherty Venters Kimball oh, days. Those those yeah. were fun. I mean, those games were actually over when it got to the bullpen. Um, right. You know, yeah. you know, unfortunately, Johnny Venters' arm did not survive his usage because they ran him out there a lot. Um, and you know, you know. Four surgeries later, he wasn't able to finally. He finally had to call it a career. Where you know, and yeah. by the way, hat, hat tip to him. I mean, like he tried his absolute best, and you know, I really wanted him to just to continue pitching until he was fifty. You know, despite everything he had went through, but unfortunately, it didn't really work out. But that was pretty much the last time that the bullpen was really good. I mean, you know, there was like times where like you know, Luis Avalon had a really good year, and like there were some bullpens that were pretty decent, especially when Kimbrel was still around. But you know, I mean, this bullpen looks pretty good. I w- I'm not saying it's the best in the league or anything like that, but the bullpen looks good, and the top of the lineup looks good, uh, assuming you know Freddie comes back healthy and all of that. But the bottom half of the lineup has some real questions, uh, particularly if you know we have an outfield that consists of Acuna plus Nick Markakis and Ender Ciarte, who to say that they uh, are questionable offensive choices at times is an understatement. Mm. And then you know you have you know guys like Dansby that you're counting on to come back and things like that. You know, the bottom half of the lineup is going to need some work, and you need a catcher that can be at least reasonably productive. And you, you know, you have holes in your rotation, and you could still, you know, could use always use another reliever or two because, as you said, you can never have enough of them. So, I don't know. Yeah. This is the, this has been a this is a fascinating start to the offseason and one that I didn't anticipate. Uh, and it kind of I, I don't know if it answers any of the questions that I had about this offseason. If anything, it might raise a couple other ones, but it definitely was. Uh, a really entertaining and fun way to start the start the offseason for sure. Yeah, I mean, I said just last night that I had kind of given up trying to figure out what exactly the Braves were going to do, right? Like, you, we generally have, and I think, I mean, all people do, not just us, all people have a general idea of what they're going to do. And signing Will Smith to a three-year deal and jumping ahead of everybody on the free agent market today at the end of the GM meetings was not high up on the list of things like, if you would have told me yesterday, yeah, they're going to ink Donaldson or, or Moustakis or Grandal or, or one of those guys, I would have said, oh, sure, that makes sense. Um, but, again, it's not like we're against the addition of Will Smith. He's a really good reliever. I just don't not think anybody was really expecting it. Um, but, as you said, it's it should be an interesting – we knew this was going to be a very important offseason for the Braves. Uh, um, and they, they certainly got the ball rolling today. And let's hope for the sake of – uh, our sanity that they don't now wait three months before making another significant move like last year. Um, but ultimately I do think we're going to see you touched on the free agent market moving a little bit better this year. I'm, I'm hopeful uh, from a fan perspective that that happens and the Braves continue to be active uh, across the board. Yeah. And I think they, and I think they will. It's been, I, I get, if I had put odds on Will Smith being a free agent period after today, I would have put it at like 20%. I thought there was like an 80% chance he was just going to sign his qualifying offer because that kind of money yeah. in a one-year deal for a free for a reliever. I mean, if I was him, I would have signed it. Um, 
and that the, only the 20% would happen is if he had a guarantee from another team that even with draft pick compensation attached to him, that he was going to get the money that he wanted. And yeah. once, and again, a 20% chance is happening is, you know, that's one in five. That seems possible, but unlikely. And that the Braves are going to be the team of all teams that gives up a draft pick to sign a lefty reliever. Long, long odds. So, again, really kind of exciting day. Well, Scott, I've taken enough of your time, and honestly, we've we've milked enough uh, content (laughs) out of a a late-night podcast, uh, you know, about only a couple things happening, but they were two fairly important ones. So really appreciate you taking the time. Um, Do you have anything else? you have anything coming up on the site or anything that you're working on right now uh, before I let you go? Uh, nothing coming up. I, we finished up on the site, the, uh, player year in review for all of them. So I did a couple of those. So be sure to check those out. And, uh, we have a couple of great reaction pieces to the Will Smith signing as well. Um, on top of the Donaldson decision. So be sure to check that out as always on the site. And, uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And make sure you follow Scott on Twitter. Uh, he's a he's a great follow. It's not just Tiger memes, I promise. I mean, it was for for a good chunk of the season, it was a lot of Tiger memes, but there's also a lot of fun <laughs> baseball talk happening. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Scott Coleman thirty five uh, fifty five fifty five. Uh, I guess the first fifty four were taken. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we really appreciate appreciate you guys. Uh, all the support for all the podcasts that we've been doing has been amazing. We really love doing these. It's a lot of fun. If for no other reason that, you know, I don't, I really get to enjoy these when I fill in for Brad because I don't get to talk to Scott very often, him living in Arizona. Uh, so, you know, we get to talk baseball. The playoff podcasts were a lot of fun, too. So we, we really enjoy doing these. I love talking to Brad. We You know, it's it's kind of every two weeks, you know, I just kind of feel like I have an itch to get, to get back on the show to talk baseball with him. So it, it's a lot of fun for us, and we hope you guys enjoy it. And until next time, I'm sure that there's going to be a show. I don't know if it's going to happen this Sunday now because of the emergency podcast. I'm sure Brad will announce it. Um, and, you know, make sure that you send all your Ozzy Albies related trade proposals, his tweets to his way, his way, just <laughs> there, so that you know. It is. Well, you have to make sure he has to know that one, that I was on the podcast and two, that people are listening. And if he doesn't get tweets about Ozzy Albies trades, then that, I feel like that's a barometer, kind of like, you know, the Nielsen rankings. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, yeah. like I only got. I only got nine Ozzy Albies tweets, Eric. You know, I, 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 we didn't have the list, listenership that I wanted. So make sure you send tweets Brad's way, or at least thank him for all the hard work he does. He puts in a ton of work on these podcasts. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to fill in where I can to kind of give him a little bit of a break, and he's in the middle of doing Hawks coverage right now. So, you know, make sure you, make sure you give him some love. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at BTRoland. You can follow myself at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, a lot of baseball talk. Mostly the minors. Lately, it's been kind of a little quieter just because, uh, you know, the Arizona Fall League was a fairly tame process this offseason. But we are going to have prospect lists coming out at the kind of the end of the year. You know, late December, early January is when that rolls out, where we do the, uh, the preseason list once we kind of hear back from some folks and kind of, you know, see where we want to rank guys. Uh, and we fight amongst each other before we can actually get the list out. Um, thanks so much. We have, a, again, make sure you read those player reviews. We have those free agency previews. And before long, the winter meetings are going to be upon us, and we're going to have some more things to talk about. So thanks again, guys, and until next time. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.